Hey, Dylan, Leon. I'm doing damn well. We haven't seen each other now for weeks. We have not weeks. So much to catch on. We have so God. much show tonight and I have a very special segment just for you. You're going to be for so me? excited. Yes, just for you. Uh, You're going to love it. Man, that, that's a hook if I've ever heard one before. Yep. yep. You want another hook? It's the end of mm-hmm. April. You know what that means? Mm-mm. It's going to be May. <laughs> Brown podcast. I am your host, Danny Paul. Joining me in the Bob Media Studios is the Baron of Bourbon, the Kaiser of Cali, the Liege Lord of Loathe himself, backed by popular demand, Leon Coventry, ladies and gentlemen. Danny. Good to be so back. Good, good to be to back. See you. We just we're just coming out of spring break season. We've yep. had spring break. Yep. You've yep. had spring break. We've been all over the place. You went off and played some small ball. We did play some golf with Mr. Jones, and uh, we really missed you. Yeah, you got nice to open. You got to open the show with that. Tell, tell, tell us and the Bobs out there about this majestic place of yours outside Vegas. Uh, well, I mean, it was it was nice. Usually, we do this golf tournament, uh, and it's just a bunch of guys just like to play golf. It's and but it's really about drinking, hanging out, and golf talking shit most of the time. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple decent golfers, but most of them are hacks like me. And, uh, we usually get a, uh, an Airbnb or a VRBO somewhere. Uh, usually almost every single, it was pretty much every single year for the last 15 years or so. It's been in La Quinta out in the desert. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, they're the, doing the classic named after your uncle. Uh-huh. BHDC. Okay. Yep. Yep. They, uh, the, unfortunately this year, La Quinta is doing major renovations to their golf courses, spiking the uh, the rates of the golf courses beyond what most people would find reasonable. Oh, fuck so them. we we called an audible and went out to lost wages uh, for the first time for the tournament. And it's very important to me that we still went with the B&B because if I stayed downtown, um, I don't think I'd have a shirt anymore because I can't stay away. I, I got to be out there gambling. But and I'm not that good at it either. I was so. going to say, you get stuck in a casino. <laughs> yeah. But uh, the house is great. You know, we had uh, nine of us staying there, nine of the 18 that went. And and uh, it was a nice pool. They had a, they had fun games. They had a movie theater in there. So we watched Kings, not the Kings, but the Kings of Comedy uh, in there. And it was pretty fun reminiscing and, and uh Great seeing Mr. Jones out there. I, I I won't describe his his game to you. I'll let him do that on his own. But uh, should he ever show up, uh, he he still might be <laughs> hanging his head in shame of the performance he put on out there. Oh, it's uh, nice that he got out there, right? That's the most important. Oh yeah, we got had a great time. A little one, and he and showed another up. on the way, and he snuck away to play a little golf. And he found a secret bottle in one of his mystery packs, and he brought it with him. 
the George T. Stag. Yes, he showed me that. Yeah, and it was it does does not disappoint. I've actually had it once before, but you know, I I couldn't re- quite remember it compared to all the other ones I've had. But it was it was what you wanted. I really appreciated him bringing out, and it was it, it was, was special. The real deal, Holyfield. Mm-hmm. So good, good. We had uh, our number one fan out there too. Uh, Mr. Hoot, Mr. Hoot was out there. Oh, friend of the show. Yeah. Gave us some, gave us some points, said he would love to uh, join as a guest one day. If we can figure so, out the time zones, right? Cause he's on the East coast. Yeah. I mean, he'd have to be up pretty late. We'd have to do a or special could, day drinking episode. Wouldn't we? Oh, wouldn't that be fun? Maybe that's a good Cinco de Mayo one. <laughs> Which reminds me, uh, this is the final before Mezcal May. We are recording this yeah. on April 27th. And for the next month after this, uh, I have a couple of different bottles of Mezcal in my stash and I will be rocking some Mezcal for the remainder of going to be May. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. What is your brown for this evening, sir? Well, you know, I'm fancy and I just came away from a really fancy trip drinking fancy bourbon. So I wanted to keep with that theme keep it the fancy. and go with old tub. <laughs> old tub. <laughs> Old tub, unfiltered, bottled in bond, hundred proof. Uh, Ooh, a scorcher. It's, it's underrated. Usually, you would find this at the bottom of the rack, but uh, and it's good. I wouldn't say it's great, but it's good. So I, f- I felt like slumming it a little bit tonight and pulling out the old tub and and uh, and it is it's a nice experience. How about you? I am going with a nice ten year Lafroig that I found on the shelf. And, I like how you pronounce uh, that. It is, uh, it's like drinking leather. It's, it's magical. Mm, back to your roots. You ever see those, those belts that they sharpen knives on? Mm-hmm. Just take that after they sharpen the knife and lick it. That's what it is in a glass. It's majesty. You know, I'm not sure that, it, that leather can actually sharpen a knife. Have we just fallen for that because Hollywood told us to? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Maybe they're just, they're honing the knife. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It's science. It's an Islay. Yeah. It's a single malt. It's got a lot of peat in it and mm-hmm. uh, it's, uh, it's, it's doing it for me. It's nice that I'm- What does it uh, usually run you? This was, this was cheap. This was 30 bucks. Oh yeah. That's it's a 10 year, you know, you let it sit for a long time. The price goes up, but this was, uh, this was tucked way in the back, had a clearance label on it. They were trying to get rid of it. And I was like, I'll take that. Thank you very much. And so now I got a nice little Islay single malt along with my, uh, Glen Morangi. And, mm-hmm. uh, I also got some Glen Fittick. Any Glen, any Glen, any Glen will do. <laughs> but, uh, this, this will tide me until we get back into it in June and then who knows what's going to happen in June. We still haven't done the bracket for this year. So much show. So much going on. <clears throat> anyway, again, neither here nor there. Because now that we've talked about Brown, let's talk about Brown. How you doing? Whiskey and whiskey. This is the darkest Brown you got. Yeah. Say, Holmes, uh, where are they hiding the scotch? What about, um, Brown? That's code for bourbon. Great stuff, this bourbon. Comes from a land called Kentucky. Talk about brown. There's a special rung in hell reserved for people who waste good scotch. Scotch? Oh, yes, I, I think so. Can I have one more of these with some booze in it, please? Can I talk about brown? Comes to us from insidehook.com. Well, that's a new one. This is a new one. This is under the restaurant and bars label. This is dated April 19th. This is about eight days ago. Uh, mm-hmm. We're filming this on April 27th, should go out, so that's episode 81, this should go out May 8th. Uh, anyway, so it'd be about a week before, and I'm I'm trying to get my my timing down. We're almost caught up. 
We're almost caught up. I think uh, as we as we record this episode 79 dropped yesterday, I'm going to drop 80 on Monday. And then I'm thinking we'll do Monday runs or I don't know. We'll figure that part out. Anyway, point is, the point is, nice brown <laughs> news. I'm going to introduce you, sir, to something that I became aware of before I found this article. But this article hmm. elucidated on it. Are you aware of the hosey? Sir, um, not a non X rated one. Very good. Very good. A hosey, <laughs> as in cozy hosey, is a fun little place to find yourself in the northern parts of Pennsylvania. And well, I'm not going to ask you to pronounce this. It's actually called Schuylkill. Hmm. And like many of the provinces up there in Pennsylvania, they have Eastern European roots. So they add a lot of consonants where they don't need them. So it's spelled Schuylkill. It's Schuylkill. Well, I appreciate that. You have the ability of reading things how they're supposed to be pronounced because also of your New Hampshire, Boston. Little, little tidbit uh, there. Yeah. Well, my, of, my wife's from Northern Pennsylvania. So when, when we go back mm-hmm. to visit her roots and I go, I go, can you, can you say that street for me? And she says, <laughs> Kashiesko. And I go, that's right. That's what that is. <laughs> The article begins, it was late on the night of May 9th, 2015, and the bar where my brother and I had been celebrating his 21st birthday had just announced last call. Given that we were in our hometown of Frackville, Pennsylvania, population 3,870, it wasn't exactly an after hours scene, or so I thought. It soon came to our attention that a friend of a friend across the bar had the keys to the hosey and was willing to open it up to serve a few more cores, the banquet beer. Before the dawn broke. And that last sentence made zero sense. It's because you're not from Schuylkill County, a place where volunteer fire companies are also bars or in the local parlance, (laughs) hosies. Like sweet pizza sauce, gross, or the pronunciation of creek as crick. It's a regional quirk whose hyperlocality became clear to me only when I'd left the area. That is what a hosie is, sir. It is the volunteer fire department that also doubles as a bar. I love it. What a great name. The history of the hosie. Michael Kitsock has been an active firefighter since 1969 when he lied about his age, 15, to a follow in his father and grandfather's steps and joined the American Hose Company number no. 2 in Mahoney City. Today, he also serves as curator for the Schuylkill Historical Fire Society, making him something of an authority on hosies. A note on etymology. While Kitsock says that the term hosey, quote unquote, was coined to refer to volunteer fire companies generally, with the phrase cozy hosey, implying the existence of a bar, hosey by my time became shorthand for the bar itself, as in Jimmy and I are heading out to hosey for a couple of yinglings. According to Kitsock, volunteer fire companies in Schuylkill County proliferated at a rapid clip from one in 1809 to 136 by the 30s. Due to the 19th century immigration wave that brought largely Irish, Welsh, German, and Polish transplants to the area to work in the local coal industry. Lots of coal in Northeast Pennsylvania. Yeah, there is. These two arrivals carved out tight-knit communities within their adopted homes, building ethnicity-specific churches and fire companies. Very true. For the immigrants, the most important buildings in the community were the churches and the fire companies. The Irish had their fire company. The Germans had their fire company. The Polish had their fire company. You wanted to present your ethnic background in the most positive way as being the first one to respond to the fire, to get first water on the fire and to have the nicest equipment and the nicest uniforms. Mm. So at a time when the country had a single paid firefighting position, the fire chief of Pottsville, the county seat, volunteer companies came to blanket each small town. First wave fire companies were often named explicitly for their ethnicity, such as the still existing Polish American fire company, number four, Shenandoah. Well done. 
Later fire companies eschewed explicitly ethnic names for patriotic or virtuous sounding titles, but still served specific blocks. Mahoney City alone, a community of nearly 16,000 at its 1910 peak by just 3,500 today, hosted Humane Fire Company Number 1, Irish, the Washington Hook and Ladder, Welsh, the Citizens Fire Company 2, German Protestant, and the Good American Hose Company Number 3, German Catholic. Along the way, something predictable happened. These community-centric fire hoses became local hangouts, complete with card games, locally brewed beer, and sometimes cheap, hard liquor for working men to enjoy. While they remained true to their original mission, fire companies began to serve their communities in another fashion. It became known for an opportunity to socialize, relax, have a few beers with people of your own kind, and that became an important element of life. Well, you know, when you think about it, if, if everything is going right, how often do you really need your fire company, you know? especially in a small town. So why not repurpose it into something that's awesome? And firehouses are generally nice places to be. They make them cozy. They want the firemen to stay there. So why not turn it into a bar, which is cozy and inviting and uh, yeah. But does it suck for the firefighters that uh, are on duty? They have to sit in the firehouse and watch everybody else drink. Well, the article continues. The bar was usually located in the basement, which proved convenient when many chose to operate speakeasies during probation. Uh, mm -hmm. Columbia Fire Company in Shenandoah, which was purchased by the Schuylkill Historical Fire Society, features a well-preserved 19th century bar with a miner's trough that allowed patrons to spit tobacco directly into a running stream at their feet. Now, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Suffice to say, hosies were historically male. <laughs> 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 I think what happened is they stuck these down in the basement. And then when people were down in the basement drinking, the fire alarm went off. Then all the firemen just took off and left everybody in the hosie. <laughs> Hang on, fellas. We'll be back. I find it hilarious that it wasn't just the country you were from, but the country and religion. <laughs> Yes. And it's like, you know, Protestant Catholic break. <laughs> it's equal so close. wars among them. That is correct. Yeah. You're like, you're living in the US. So you 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 guys are pretty close. Nope. Nope. Not close enough. We need to stay separate. Okay. Never mind. Uh interesting tidbit about the state of Pennsylvania is they have beer distributors, which means you cannot buy it in the market like other states. And I think you're aware of this. They have this in what, Ohio or uh, Colorado? No, it's Colorado. But I thought you could buy three, two in the stores there. I might be you wrong on that. You can buy wine in a separate section in the grocery store, but you cannot buy beer. You have to go to a beer distributor, which is basically okay. a hole in the wall where they swipe a little money off the top and do absolutely nothing to earn it. Mm -hmm. But the fun part about Pennsylvania, among other weird little quirky things about their alcohol rules, are the rarest of these is a, a restaurant liquor license, which allows the hosie to serve the general public much like any other bar. But far more common is the club license, which limits access to members and guests, but allows the establishment to serve alcohol until 3 a.m., outlasting Pennsylvania's bars by an hour. Now, this no. would be like the Foreign Legion or this would be um, various military-associated type places. But the idea is that in, in these tiny little Pennsylvania mountain neighborhoods, right next to a house in the middle of a neighborhood would be a bar or a bodega or a shop. And that was just the way it was. There was no commercial shopping centers with a gigantic parking lot, as you and I might know from, from our time in the Orange Curtain. And so the idea is you would literally walk from your house to the bar, but the bar would be very local and very specific because you had to be a member. Oh. And then, of course, there's you know, the hosies cool that serve alcohol that. without any license at all. Yeah, what are you going to do? Arrest a firefighter? Come on. That's interesting. Uh, no, I've never heard the term. And you knew about this prior to reading I the article? Heard of, huh? I had heard of a hosie before, but, you know, it was like one of those weird terms you learn from, you know, being in the area. Like somebody like... uh 
my wife's my wife's cousin's husband says crick. Mm-hmm. He says, no, nah, they went down a crick. Mm-hmm. All right. What is that? It's over there. <laughs> oh, the creek. Yeah, the creek. What's the problem? So little little things like that that are just, you know, oh, you don't know what that is? That's a hosey. No, I, I don't. I don't know what a hosey is. So it's just one of those little colloquialisms. Like, uh, I'll give you an example. In in New England, what do you think a liquor store is called? Uh, I don't know. It's a packy. Okay. Or package store mm. because during prohibition you would go and get a package and you would keep that package in a brown paper bag and no one saw what it was so when you say i'm going down a package store you went down or maybe that translated a little bit after prohibition into i don't want anybody to know that i'm an alcoholic so i'm going to put it in a brown paper bag but that's that's what a, a packy is if you're in yeah. the northeast you know it's a, it's a very british thing or even australian you know both of them cut down things so far in a terminology that no one would understand it unless you you were calling it that you gotta know. I, i'm yeah well gotta be there i guess that's where we're from huh uh hosey well, ranks you know have, i'm a little mad you didn't take me to a hosey on your bachelor party well, but I don't remember if I knew the name or not by then, but if, if I had known that there might've been a hosey in that little town where I got married, it's goddamn right. We're going. Oh, there had to be. I'm, there's a budget in and suites. There's really? a hosey. Because of a <laughs> hospital and an ungated cemetery. <laughs> One day that, that should be the audio for the show. As, if as I can sung ever find by Do you have it? I don't know. If you can Maybe. find it, if you can find it, I'll play it on the show. <laughs> my mom actually might have it she oh, thought it was brilliant it is it was brilliant i don't know what do you, is that app even exist anymore the imt pan i app? don't i don't know if it does oh, flash in the that was a lot of booze and like a decade uh, and a half ago yeah we can see if oh, i can find that such wonderful wonderful memories anyway <laughs> Hosey ranks have thinned in recent years. Swartz estimates that 25 fire companies disappeared in the county over the last decade, whether through mergers or outright closures. But for now, the peculiar institution of the Hosey carries on fighting fires and thirst. Okay. I learned something new tonight. Yeah. That wraps up talking about Brown. Let's get to our top story. News team, assemble! Let's get down, let's get down to business. And I got news for you. Leon, what do you always say? What is your signature phrase? And we still haven't cured cancer. Tonight's top story comes to us from Interesting Engineering. Vaccines for cancer could be ready by 2030. It's about fucking time. The pandemic sped up the process of these treatments. Hmm. A pharmaceutical company announced on Saturday that vaccines for cancer, cardiovascular and autoimmune diseases and other conditions could be ready by 2030. According to The Guardian, Dr. Paul Burton, chief medical officer of pharmaceutical company Moderna, told the news outlet he is confident the firm will be able to offer such options for all sorts of disease areas in as little as five years. We will have that vaccine and it will be highly effective and it will save many hundreds of thousands, if not millions of lives. I think we will be able to offer personalized cancer vaccines against multiple different tumor types to people around the world, Burton said. He also said Myrna or messenger RNA therapies could provide a solution for rare diseases for which there are currently no available therapies. I think we will have Myrna-based therapies for rare diseases that were previously undruggable. And I think 10 years from now, we will be approaching a world where you truly can identify the genetic cause of a disease and with relative simplicity, go and edit that out and repair it using Myrna-based technology. You think about that, Leon? Well, I'm inspired by it. I'm excited because I am predisposed to all those things that it's supposed to cure. Um, I'm still cautiously uh, 
pessimistic on it though, because you know, that's me. I can't help it. Yep. Yep. No, um, but, uh, boy, we sure could use it. I don't know. I don't know a single person that hasn't been seriously infected, impacted by themselves or a loved one from cancer Yep. or sure. heart disease. Um, so, and you know, you could be the healthiest person in the world. You don't have to be old anymore. You don't have to be young. You don't have to be a smoker. I mean, you're, you're, nobody is safe from this. So, and I've, you know, we've, we've talked about in the past and sometimes, you know, you get it in the worst possible times too. We, you know, getting it, it's just, it's just so hard on not only the person that has it, but everybody else around them. And, uh, I joke about it because it is the single worst thing. I know we talk a lot about guns and drugs and all these other things. They don't even hold up a candle compared to what cancer's doing, right? And that's what I think we need to, you know, let's let's knock this one out. <laughs> let's go get that one because no nothing's taken out more innocent people than cancer. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the article continues, it's partially due to the pandemic. Burton credits the success of these new treatments partially to COVID-19. I think it was an order of magnitude that the pandemic sped this technology up. I, it has also allowed us to scale up manufacturing, so we've got extremely good at making large amounts of vaccine very quickly. Other experts are in agreement mm-hmm. with Burton. There has been a massive acceleration, not just of traditional vaccine technologies, but also novel ones that hadn't previously been taken through licensure. Certainly, Myrna falls into that category, as does our vaccine. Dr. Philip Dubovsky, President of Research and Development at Novavax. Uh, there's no doubt there's a lot more interest in vaccines. The really big question is, what happens from here? Said Professor Andrew Pollard, Director of the Oxford Vaccine Group and Chair of the UK's Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunization. I think I should have switched those voices. <laughs> In February, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration granted Moderna's personalized cancer vaccine breakthrough therapy designation, meaning its regulatory review will be expedited. How you like them apples, Leon? Very much so. Motherfuckers uh, are going to do a cancer vaccine. Shit. Yeah. Boy, th- that would be amazing. I really, I, I'm hopeful. I hoped it would happen before uh, my time was up here. So let's go. I don't know. I mean, right now, I don't feel like the mRNA vaccines are necessarily trending in a popular positive way right now. As you would assume, I, I feel like the news is finally starting to come out with the side effects because, you know, we were just trying to get out of a very dangerous pandemic um but rightly so people were saying wait we don't know much about it we'll find out and we're finding out mm-hmm. so hopefully hopefully if the uh, negative effects uh, are severely dwarfed by the positive effects and we can continue going forward with this technology yeah. a little bounce i went to uh, the wikipedia's just for because we got a little bit of time left i wanted to get an idea for those who are interested who are not aware a myrna vaccine is a type of vaccine that uses a copy of a molecule called messenger rna to produce an immune response the vaccine delivers molecules of antigen encoding mrna into immune cells which use the designate the designed mrna as a blueprint to build foreign protein that would normally be produced by a pathogen such as a virus or by a cancer cell so to give you an idea is your normal vaccine i was explaining this to my 11 year old your normal vaccine is typically a dead virus they, they inject the dead virus into you. your body goes okay 
That's what it looks like. Next time that guy shows up, I'm going to fuck him up. Instead mm-hmm. of the dead virus, this inserts a protein that simply trains the body on what to look for. So rather than a dead body where we say, all right, that's it. We're going to recognize that next time it won't happen. This is a little bit more proactive in terms of vaccine technology where it trains the body. This is what you want to look for. You haven't seen it yet. So that's kind of an oversimplification. If there's any bobs out there that are immunologists or have a a thing on this, let us know. 602-529-4562 or bottle of brown at gmail.com, but uh, let us know and uh, we'll set the record straight. But that's basically my understanding is this is a little bit more proactive than a traditional vaccine. It's a lot more advanced and it's a lot more customized. So the idea that they can do this with cancer of all fucking things in such a short time frame lets you know that the technology is pretty amazing. Um, to, to those of you that think this just showed up, it didn't. If you read the Wikipedia article, this thing has been studied since 1989. Hmm. And so there's 1993 updates, there's 2001 updates, 2008 updates, 2010, 2013. So they were roughly sitting on this technology and playing with it for about 10 years uh, before COVID came along. So it was it was good and bad that COVID came along. I would say net bad. Is that fair to say, Leon? <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll all go with net bad. We'll go Not with net good. bad. We'll go with net yeah. bad. But uh, the the emergence and development of Myrna as a technology uh, is a good thing. Yeah, it, I will say if that means that we got a cure for cancer ten years early, then I would actually flip COVID to net good. I would do day. it till that day. Till that day. That wraps up our top story. Let's get to the crank file. I could look for something in the crank file. Crank file. Whatever. The nice crank file comes to us from Motor Trend. Odd place, but I seem to find some very interesting things from Motor Trend. Where was the uh, the Charger article? Was that Motor Trend as well? I think so. Yeah. That was yeah. badass. Motor Trend's a fun spot that I find a lot of weird stuff in. Um, anyway, neither here nor there. Tonight's story is self-driving, self-pleasure sex pod. There's not enough Lysol in the world. <laughs> Yes, the, I'm. This is. We need the porn music to come in the, oh, on this oh. one. What do you mean? What you're, you're suggesting this has something to do with pornography? Yes. Do you think George Takei would like this? Oh my! <laughs> the Sexla, capital S, small E, capital X, small L, small A. The Sexla is billed as an autonomous robo taxi pod that allows passengers to quote enjoy a revolutionary experience. Unquote. We got a lot of weird story pitches and press releases in our inbox here. It's not all, hey, here's the next supercar or check out the latest Honda Civic. Generally speaking, most of these adventurous new clippings come from PR companies on autopilot pushing non-automotive or weird automotive stuff to any media whose email addresses they could find. Some are just straight up pranks and general bunk. Today, we got something so weird that even though it's obviously a joke that can't possibly be real, we just have to share it with you because, well, as you'll see, it's a generous lover of a pitch. (laughs) So they're admitting this is not real. Oh, they're admitting this is fake, but they were, they thought it was so wonderful to share it. And I got to give credit to the designers because this is a really fun idea. (laughs) The article continues. Apparently, and this is a sentence we never figured we'd type, but adult entertainment website Cam Soda, or someone impersonating a representative of Cam Soda, sent us this take on the upcoming self-driving vehicle robo-taxi boom that provides a new service, or more accurately, a way for people to service themselves while using an autonomous pod service. So the idea of autonomous taxis uh, is not so far-fetched. If you come down my way, 
right around the Chandler Mesa Tempe. If, if the midge was here, he'd back me up, but right around the area of Southeast Phoenix is Waymo. Mm -hmm. And there are tons of autonomous Waymo vehicles with no okay. driver. They have them in Las Vegas too. You can see them. Did you see them? The white SUVs with all the spinny shit on the outside? No, but I just know that when I tried to pick up a, a Lyft or an Uber there, it asks, um, are you okay with an autonomous vehicle? And I've said no. And you but, said no. Okay. Well, they've, yeah. they've picked up people at my office and taken them to the airport. So I've gotten a pretty good look at these things. They're, they're rather exciting, uh, but it's a little <laughs> unnerving that nobody's in the driver's seat. All yeah. the stuff's there, seats, steering wheel, pedals, but it's, it's not human propelled. Would you do it? Um, fuck it. I think I would. Would you do it in an airplane? No. Interesting. Even though airplanes are way more safe than cars. I think if a car goes wrong, <laughs> you have a pretty good idea of what the, what your options are. Uh, I don't think I can open the door and uh, Starsky and Hutch roll out of an airplane. <laughs> Fair enough. If I, if I get the feeling that things aren't going the way they're supposed to be going. Fair enough. Just saying. Just saying. I think most people feel that way. I, you ask anyone, would you be on a pilotless airplane? And most people say, absolutely not. Mm, I don't. I, I trust the human in that case. Even statistically speaking, I know what you're saying. There's a lot more car accidents than plane accidents. It's just the idea of I'm up in the air. That's the thing about this whole uh, robo flying taxi. It's like when that mm -hmm. fucker crashes, it takes out everything on its way down. Mm -hmm. Anyway, well, neither here nor there. I digress. It's called the Sexla. <laughs> Who wants to take bets on how long it'll take before Tesla's lawyers send a cease and desist? Not likely. It's, Lee. it's Elon. No, he likes it. He's got a sense of humor. Oh, I'm sure he would be in on it. Anyway, the Sexla can make it. He might. I, w I would not hold it past him. Anyway, the sexless build is an autonomous robo-taxi pod that allows passengers to enjoy a revolutionary masturbation. <laughs> you can't just stop on the part that's not funny. You need to get it out. Enjoy a revolutionary masturbatory experience, which is yet yes. another thing that we never thought we would be written in any version of Motor Trend ever. <laughs> why, would, why would they ever write that? <laughs> Have you ever heard the term masturbatory? Oh. Masturbatory? Revolutionary. Ma masturbatory. <laughs> Carry the two. Before we go any further, we should point out that this idea is truly from Cam Soda. Seems to have sprung from the site's lab, a blog-like collection of experimentation with sex and technology that's part gag, part boundary pushing thought exercise. From what research our work issued laptops could peel back without threatening our jobs, it seems Cam Soda Labs has actually implemented or made some of its out there technologies. So it's not entirely virtual to be sure we've reached out to the company's communications director and for confirmation that the sexla is in fact born in a lab and if so whether it's something that'll actually be realized in the physical world however we never got a response which further hints that the sexla is a prank a funny one but a prank nonetheless and might not have anything to do with cam soda at all anyway <laughs> Each Sexla vehicle is theoretically equipped with a 4K screen with a live stream of a cam model that interacts with passengers during the trip. Each vehicle Whoa. is allegedly stocked with what we just call accessories for the experience. Okay. And riders would pay for each trip in a similar way that they would for any other taxi. Did we mention that mm. we aren't positive this is even a real thing or not? Hey, certainly helps the pod's viability that it's based on an existing robo-taxi prototype as if Cam Soda would ever enter the OEM business. However, let's give this the benefit of the doubt. I By think now, this author wants it really bad. I think the author wants it to be real. <laughs> I've never seen what's so passionate about a fake prank. The self-driving like, car oh, of the future is an open-ended concept, both literally and figuratively. Figuratively, uh, it doesn't go in anything. It's got a couple of uh, let's get a couple of 3D mockups. Uh, it's just a it's this Cam Soda on it. It's got uh, slide away doors, and there's a. Right, wide open windshield 
which if you're going to be in there way. for revolutionary masturbatory experience, but you want the windshield to be clear. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I would assume, well, who knows people are into that. I mean, if you're into this type of thing, you're probably into people seeing you do it. I don't know. I don't know how it goes. I mean, oh, the whole thing is so cringe. Like I, I feel bad sitting in an Uber sometimes because I know how many people have been in there beforehand. <laughs> but to look to the left and see accessories that may or may not have already been used yeah, I mean, five that minutes ago. Be a black box. Oh my like, you goodness! There's some very very high vehicles out there on the freeway, and you can't see anything. They they could be they could be having a revolutionary masturbatory experience. You wouldn't know. But if it's that low to the ground, like some of these mock-ups are, mm -hmm. yeah, you need some you need some digital shades or something. I just assume everything would be floating in that blue stuff that you see at the barbershop. I don't know what that is, but apparently <laughs> it's it's magical fluid oh, that makes barbersol. all of us feel more yeah. comfortable. Yeah, we feel very comfortable with whoever's hair that touched before mine because just kill it. <laughs> it's the um, same color as the water in my toilet. The final part of the pitch is cam soda or the Pitch purporting to be Camp Soda says it plans to deploy the sexla in New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, and Austin. Why Las Vegas isn't on that list is just one of the many, many confusing aspects of this entire endeavor. While mm. the concept is completely absurd, it does address via an entirely novel angle the question of what people might do in a hypothetical future filled with self-driving cars. Our autonomous future just got TMI'd. <laughs> this is why I made oh. it in the crank file. It never, ever, ever occurred to me that if you're in an autonomous vehicle and it's just you, it sounds very plausible now that somebody would go zip. I got to unload one before I get to the airport. Cause that place sucks. <laughs> you know why it didn't come to mind? Cause it's not a thing that comes to normal people's mind. Cause anybody who got an autonomous vehicle, <laughs> you're looking, you're like, you better not hit that car. I hope you see the turn coming up. Mr. Robot. You're not thinking about anything other than that. Yeah. Just pretend I'm not here, robot driver. <laughs> yeah, because you don't want to be in mid-act when that thing decides not to turn left when it's supposed to. Like the jaws of life comes to pull you out like, sir, how did your pants come off? Oh, the, the force of the accident. You were going five just, miles an hour. Stop. My, my mind is going weird places. Like you're in a car and you're like, take me to the Biltmore. And then you just put on, put on the 1812 overture. Do, 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 do. People get out. Welcome to the sweaty. Biltmore, sir. No, no, we're not here yet. <laughs> the air conditioning was running. That weren't working. Well, it's the pleats. <laughs> You I'd know, to take, take these back to the pants store. You know, in, in all honesty, though, like some of these autonomous vehicles, like they should have activities in there. Like they should have one that has the dude from uh, cash, uh, cash cab. Like mm -hmm. you should be able to play cash cab yep. while you're driving. And then, yeah, that'd be amazing. So the irony this them is all right, like, why isn't it in Vegas? I'm like, yeah, why isn't it in Vegas? Because the number one thing that young guys do in their 20s is they call a limo to get a free ride to the strip club. And what, what wouldn't you want on a free limo ride to the strip club than a revolutionary <laughs> masturbatory experience? Oh, the strip club lobbyists are at it again. Oh, Allegedly. They're, they're a powerful bunch. They're Allegedly. a powerful bunch. <laughs> In accordance with prophecy. Anyway, uh, that wraps okay. up the crack file. Let's do some adulting. How old are you guys? 
We're not fucking kids anymore. On a scale of one to ten, how would you rate your pain? Everything hurts. I'm a grown-ass man, dog. I pay taxes here, fucker. We're not like you. We're grown-ups, motherfucker. When 900 years old, you reach, look as good you are not. Hmm? Tonight's adulting comes to us from Market Watch. This one, I, I, I knew about it, but sometimes it just hits you in the feels. Eating more than six teaspoons of sugar a day is linked to cancer, stroke, diabetes, early death, and dozens of other health problems. Do not eat refined sugar, Leon. Stop now. All of it. I, I never just eat a spoonful of sugar. Even though it helps the medicine go down. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Don't do it. Is sugar in my diet cook? Uh, no. You're good. You're going to die for other reasons. Well done. All right. Thanks. An umbrella review of 73 meta-analyses, including 8,600 studies, found significant harmful associations between eating too much sugar and 45 bad health outcomes. Good times. That's according to an umbrella review of thousands of studies looking at the effect of sugar consumption on health, which was published in the journal BMJ this week. Researchers in the United States and China reviewed 73 meta-analyses, which included 8,600 studies and found significant harmful associations between free sugar consumption and 45 negative health outcomes, including, but not limited to, asthma, cancer, depression, diabetes, gout, heart disease, high blood pressure, stroke, tooth decay, and early death. Free sugar quote unquote, AKA added sugar is defined as basically any sugar added to a food or drink. This includes sugars added during the processing of foods, such as sucrose or dextrose foods packaged as sweetness, such as table sugar, artificial sweetener, sugars from syrups and honey, and sugars from concentrated fruit or vegetable juices, according to the United States FDA. The main source of added sugar for most Americans are sugar-sweetened drinks, baked goods, desserts, and sweets. The sugar linked with poor health outcomes and early death does not include sugars naturally occurring in nutritious foods and beverages, however, such as dairy or whole unprocessed fruits and vegetables. So dairy is good. Unprocessed fruits and vegetables are good. Other nat... You're fucked. You know, what's uh, interesting is, you know, everyone's got these fad diets, but I remember one guy specifically that I worked with, uh, he lost significant amount of weight, looked great, good energy. And I, you know, I'm like, which one? Are you an Atkins guy? Are you a Weight Watch? What are you doing? He's like, sugar. Just cut it out. Just stop. Stop eating sugar. <laughs> I was like, and that's it. And he, it fell off him. But realizing how many things you eat and drink that have sugar in them, um, it's you don't necessarily have to go to a spinach and and uh, and grilled chicken diet to lose weight. You just yeah get rid of that sugar. And there's so much sugar and so many things we eat. Oh, oh, I is it? I detect it, a visitor. Is it possible? Is somebody at the door? Is it? Should we let him into the studio? Mm, you know, when we were in school, you just had to lock the door and make him look silly for a while. And then, and only then would you let him in. Maybe we should make him do the truffle shuffle. Yes. He has to do the truffle shuffle. First, you got to do the truffle shuffle. Then you can join. Come on. Do it. Do Come it. On. Do it. Do it. <laughs> Surprise Welcome, special sir. guest, Mr. Jobs has entered the Bob Media Studios. What's up, buddy? Hello, gentlemen. It's been a week, and uh, I've had some technical difficulties. My computer just keeps going to the going to the uh, blue screen of death when I try to launch Zoom. So horribly sad. Horribly sad. You know, what is your brand for this evening? I'm doing the Buffalo Trace kosher wheated mash. Ooh. Very yum. 
Oh, very sweet. Very a little different than the sour mash, which I'm used to, but uh, I thought I'd crack one open and take it for a whirl. A very Passover of you. Yes. Okay. Yes. You caught us in the middle of our adulting segment, Jay. We're oh. looking at the dangers of sugar. Oh, it's a dangerous drug. Watch out. More mm-hmm. addictive than heroin. Well, the study authors noted that the link between sugar consumption and cancer has been limited and controversial, which requires more research. The evidence of harmful associations between eating sugar and other issues like obesity, depression, and heart disease is more undeniable. In general, no reliable evidence shows beneficial associations between dietary sugar consumption and any health outcomes, the report added, apart from a few exceptions that the authors said are still not supported by strong evidence. Indeed, other recent studies have linked high sugar intake to Alzheimer's and ultra-processed foods such as sodas, microwavable food, and salty snacks also been linked to an increased risk of cancer, especially ovarian and breast cancer, according to a study of more than 197,000 United Kingdom adults published in Lancet in February. Another recent large-scale study suggested that eating 400 calories a day of ultra-processed food could raise your dementia risk by 20%. How much you sugar is too much? Go ahead, Liam. You know, I'm struggling here. So I get the ultra-processed food and all that other stuff. But think about it. The people that weren't eating ultra processed food, the ones that were eating it right off the rack, the organic, the real organic, the people back in the middle ages, how long did they live? I forgot. Like fucking 27 years old. Touche. So, yeah. So go ahead and eat that ultra processed shit and you'll live till 90. That's science. I I don't care what this article says. And I also think that anybody who wants to make a name for themselves as a researcher or a journalist, they're going to find something you love and they're going to say, this is why you can't ever have it again. Uh, do you you enjoy life? We're going to take that from you. If you, if you continue to do this thing, you love that's, that's what I've noticed. That's a, that's a very good Jane, you ignorance slut counterpoint there, Leon, because 1500 years ago, life expectancy was a third of now eat this bad right. shit. That's right. They didn't put pesticides on that shit. <laughs> science. Science, bitches. Which I did I did not have a science segment on this episode, but let's make this our science segment just for shits and giggles. <laughs> Sounds like science to me. Prove me wrong. All I'm saying. The stuff. Bob's gauntlet thrown. <laughs> How much sugar is too much exactly? The new BMJ study draws on guidance from the World Health Organization, the World Cancer Research Fund, and the American Institute for Cancer Research to recommend sticking to about six teaspoons of free sugars or added sugars a day or below 25 grams a day, as well as limiting sugar-sweetened beverages to less than one serving a week or just 200 to 355 milliliters a week. Six teaspoons for those of you that are not handy around the kitchen. What do you think six teaspoons is, Mr. Jones? Tablespoon and a half. Yeah, that's not much at all. That is not much at all. I don't that's, know if that's a quarter of a golf ball, maybe. Do you guys yeah. see the <laughs> the Burt Kirshner two bears in a cave when he's drinking his Kool-Aid and, and Tom Casura <laughs> is just crying because he's laughing so hard that this grown 40 year old man is drinking a giant jug of Kool-Aid. He's like, it's so much sugar. What are you doing? What was there vodka in it? Cause uh, that's one of my favorite drinks. Kool-Aid well, we, and uh, the vodka. Mitch and I talked Kool-Aid about this in an earlier episode is the, um, the super troopers guys were actually drinking real maple syrup. Mm-hmm. And oh. when they end, end up drinking like a couple gallons of it, their stomachs hurt really, really bad. And then yeah. a couple hours later at the hotel, 
it was the cleanse of cleanses. <laughs> like it was get the fuck out. Like everything had to go, which is ironic because it's so sticky. <laughs> I am all that is man. I wonder what maple mud butt feels like. <laughs> There's only one way to find out. <laughs> Didn't they play Coachella? <laughs> that was a good Coachella band last name. Week. <laughs> that is a good band name. Maple mud butt. Feel free to take it. I sit in the front row while I was watching Maple Mud Butt play. <laughs> <laughs> Introducing their new single, Wipe Twice. <laughs> Followed by The Ghost. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. From their upcoming album, Oh My God, You Have a Bidet. That's awesome. I need one of those. Here I sit, brokenhearted. Ate a dime and only farted. That was from. Uh... <laughs> oh. like, was that uh, really? Must have been Edgar Allan Poe. I'm not it's, sure. Because it's, it's about that one. Poo. You got me. The study also recommends changing overall sugar consumption patterns, especially for children and adolescents, through public health education and worldwide policies to cut down sugar intake. Well, I just think. From all the things that they've done, especially in this ridiculous state where they've required people to put warnings on their packages, there should be a relatable, I guess what I'm looking for is some kind of new unit of measurement that we can all get behind and say, I'm allowed to have five units of sugar a day. And everything should have a box that says every serving is two units. I just think the problem is, is that we can't do the math, like how many grams or how many, it, it, the, the, the numbers get so big. I can't, I can't always figure out yeah, what's the right amount of sugar to have. Mr. Jones like nailed she, six teaspoons is one and a half tablespoons. Well, I have a vague idea of what a tablespoon is because yeah. I cook, but who the fuck knows what six teaspoons is or that's right. More appropriately, 25 grams. Yeah. That's your bacon bread. They just make a new unit called a sugar. And this is a. You're allowed to have, in a healthy way, four sugars a day. That's right. Four sugars, pick, bitches. Yeah. I got a case of the sugars. <laughs> and I just pick up on one thing when it says the sugary drinks one time a week. Isn't that booze is included in that? Uh, that's a know. good question. Because I think they put a little bit of sugar in uh, in the macro brews. Like, uh, well, bud I mean, and, when you make... But well, when you Miller, make that's booze... Got, that's got corn syrup or some shit in it. Well, the point is, though, when you make booze, let's just make beer. Simple. Use molasses. You grind down, you make your malt, you boil it up, and all it's really giant sugary water. It's really what you've made. And then you add some yeast, you get alcohol, and you bottle it, and you drink it. Pretty simple process. But when you ask, I just, I think it's funny. You only get one sugary drink. I'm like, I only get one beer? Fuck you. No. Sorry. Next. Yeah. Try again. Find a new solution. No. Go back to no. the drawing board. It's like the... Two men in a cave where he's like, I love drinking. I am I, my favorite thing to do is wake yeah, up. We're, we're kind of going watch the sunrise the, and be drinking. We're not very on brand for the show for telling people to stop drinking that shit. Yeah, and we will not. And I will yeah. not ever endorse that. That's oh, a terrible I, plan. I got an idea. I guess. so about a about a tablespoon and a half is a sugar cube and a half. What do you think? Yeah, okay. but work? like who uses sugar cubes? Like really? Like every British people. Do. I don't know. Well, I'm trying to give a reference point for the bobs. Yeah. That's why I went with tablespoon because everyone right. knows it. That's for all you bobs out there. Sugar is bad. If you want to keep <laughs> drinking, we support you. <laughs> all right. After live the your life and live in a balance, it's that simple. 
Live with a balance, need, damn it. We're going to need a sugar right. burner. Cure cancer, but then you die of sugar. So then you follow up with sugar burner. It though. all balances out. Kinda. All right, that wraps up adulting. Let's get to WTF. Excuse me, what the? What the? What the? Hey, yo, what the? What? What the? What the? Whiskey? I co-opted your loathe today, Leon, because this is something that's near and dear to Danny's heart. And Danny gets very rage angry. I want to hurt Danny's something. Danny's getting upset. Yeah. Danny's getting upset. Stand back. <laughs> Danny likes spicy chicken. <laughs> what do you we've we've talked about this before in the pod, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna push you guys to oh my god, this is all new. It isn't new. We're just gonna revisit it. Congress today is older than it's ever been. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. This one comes to us from 538. This is Nate Silver's jam. This is the guy that crunches all the data and makes all the really nice infographics and predictions. So, of course, he did what I asked him to do, <coughs> allegedly. And he did some numbers. Mm -hmm. Older members of Congress are notorious for their lack of familiarity with modern technology. Late last month, at least three different representatives in a hearing on TikTok called the popular app Tic Tac. A breathman available in many store checkout lines. This is only the latest in a long line of amusing tech-related congressional miscues. Back in 2006, Alaska Senator Ted Stevens described the internet as a series of tubes. And Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer copped to his struggles. And in 2022, he held up his flip phone and said he was not very tech-oriented during a speech on the Senate floor. Don't expect such unfamiliarity to change anytime soon. As it turns out, Congress today is older than it's ever been. Across all senators and representatives, the median age of the 118th Congress is 59. Median. Median. Jesus. That's gnarly. That's crazy. The median senator is 65. That's, that is crazy. Median. Wow. The median representative is 58 for the fourth Congress in a row. Congress has notably aged since 2001 from 1919 to 1999 over a period of 80 years. The median Senator never eclipsed 60 and the median representative never surpassed 55. And yet for the last two decades, we've had grandpa Simpson running this country. And you can see How this, old comfy is our president little, again? this comfy little chart here. He's going to be 81. Oldest in history. He's going to be 81 at next year's election and his presumptive uh, opponent, uh, the Donald will be 78. Unbelievable. This, is this is what we've been reduced to. Good God. So colorful little chart here, the Senate and the house. And it seems like the Senate is always older than the house, which is okay. I get it. Those are the age rules. Uh, but it looks like our largest source of hope was somewhere in 1983 when Reagan. the metric was 48 years old. Back in Reaganomic times? Back in mm -hmm. Reaganomic times. So basically the beginning of the Reagan era, that was when we dipped. That was the nadir of age was 48, which is basically baby boomers. That's a World War II section, isn't it? World War II. No, but I'm saying like, if you were a Senator, you were in World War II at that time. Uh, that's a good, that's a good question. I don't know. Because it's likely that if this is the median age, then these are people born after the war. But mm -hmm. then those are the same people that stayed because the median age goes in a pretty interesting clip from there. Him in the 40s. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What's behind these increasingly older Congresses? The country's Term aging limits. population as a whole is chiefly responsible, which is most apparent in the disproportionate Across influence the, the baby boomer generation has on Capitol Hill, coupled with longer running trends that have made it more likely for members of Congress to win re-election and stick around. This has all helped make Congress older than ever. And the overrepresentation of boomers doesn't just produce moments like those of the TikTok hearings. It also has real effects on the type of policies passed by the federal 
legislature. Now, members of Congress have always been older than the public at large, as well as the population constitutionally eligible to serve at least 25 years old for the House, 30 for the Senate. According to the 2020 census, the median age of the U.S. population is 39. And among those 25 and older, it was 51, almost 22 and 10 years younger, respectively, than the median member of 116th Congress was at the time. But the U.S. population is also far more elderly than in the past. As of the 2020 census, about 42% were 45 and older, twice the share in the same age group a century before. Of course, this is partly due to people living longer and having fewer children, which reduces the share of younger people entering the population. Oh, come on. Horseshit. Less children, that's why. Now, we have plenty of young people and intelligent young people and middle-aged people to go in there. It's money. It always has been. It's whoever gets the most money, who has the most influence with people with money, that's who gets in. And so the longer you live, the more influence you have, the more friends you've made, the more lobbyists you've shook hands with. I'm not, uh, no, I'm not no saying anything. More responsible. No, you're not saying anything at all. No group is more responsible for this trajectory across both the population and Congress than the baby boomers. While immigration has augmented the population, 76 million boomers were born between 46 and 64, far more than the 47 million in the preceding silent generation and greater than the 55 million and 62 million in the subsequent generations of X and Y, known as the millennials. Boomers have been described as the pig and the python because over time, they have formed an unusually large bulge in the nation's population distribution. Their magnitude in the population initially helped slightly reduce the nation's median age in the 1960-70 census before the median started to rise again. 48% of the current Congress is made of boomers, even though they only represent about 21% of the population. And this is a, actually represents a decline in representation for the boomers who made up 63% of Congress in the mid-2010s. Mm, amazing. Thanks to their size, baby boomers have been an especially long-lasting force in congressional politics. Boomers are now in their 25th consecutive Congress, but still make up about half the membership, putting them well ahead of earlier generations. In its 25th Congress, the silent generation only made up about one-third, while the earlier lost generation made up only around a quarter. Mm. So, you know, what's interesting is we have age restrictions to go into government on the minimum side, but nothing on the maximum side, which I think there's something wrong with that because Preach. I don't know anyone who even seniors, which I spend a lot of time with, that wouldn't say you're cognitive, cognitive, am I butchering yes. that word? Yes. That's because yes. it's late in the show. It's late in the show and I've had a few. <laughs> uh, their ability to quickly assert what needs to be done to handle many tasks at the same time is decreases with age. And there's a, there's a point where you have to, and it's, I, I don't think it should be that controversial. It should be very clear cut that there's that you're in your prime probably before the age of 70. I think once you get beyond that, you know, there's, there's certainly people out there that, that, are excelling beyond 70. I mean, I'm not talking about exceptions. I'm talking about the rule, but I think, for example, the FAA restricts, you're not allowed to fly a commercial airplane. Past, it used to be past the age of 65. I think they bumped it to 67 recently, but it doesn't matter how long you've been flying a United 777. Once you turn that age, you're done. And I think everyone just kind of quietly nods their head and said, yeah, that seems right. 
<laughs> I mean, age, I age is not politically correct. Uh, your guys' senator, Miss Feinstein, is 89. Um, there is no way she hasn't crapped her pants this month. There's just no way. It's happened. And everyone knows that. Nancy, so we, Maxine Waters is 84. Nancy Pelosi is 83. Chuck Grassley is 89. It's crazy. Yeah. I Look. I what guess I'm an ageist. I'm an ageist. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, his age, age is not politically correct. So that the whole idea of, you know, don't be ageist. Is like, yeah, fuck you. You're going to die. I'm going to die. Yeah. We're all going to die. That's the one constant we can rely on. Is there anything more important, anything more important than running the country? Probably not. And if you ask yourself, would you trust this person to fly your airplane? Would you trust this person with a scalpel, scalpel in their hand to cut you open? And if your answer is consistently no, you should probably not let them run your country either. That's me. That's me. That's where I stand. Now, it's no shock that members of Congress tend to be older than Americans as a whole. We know that older political leaders tend to benefit to some degree from voters who prefer experienced politicians. Additionally, older voters are more likely to vote and more likely to prefer people from their own age group who they anticipate will serve their interests better. This is not to say that age overshadows partisanship, but it is a factor. The Congressional Research Service has found that members are more likely to serve longer tenures today than they did 70 or more years ago because they're more likely to seek re-election and win additional terms. Term all limits. this has consequences for how these older members represent their constituents. Broadly, we know that the makeup of Congress, whether that means race, ethnicity, age, gender, sexuality, or other facets of identity, can influence which issues it addresses. So the danger for all you bobs out there is if we have 80-year-old members of Congress and Senate, they're going to give a shit about what 80-year-olds give a shit about. And so having a flip phone, not understanding how the internet works, referring to TikTok as TikTok, and otherwise being completely blind to what social media apps and other technology is, is par for the course. And if you're not pissed off by now, I fucked up. <laughs> I'm curious what it is in the Supreme Court right now. The Supreme I mean, basically, Court those guys are elected, and they get to decide. I think it's actually probably it. better. Honestly, it could be now. Yeah, with, with Coney with, Barrett and uh, drinking. Uh, I like to so drink beer. See, according to the Google, the average age of the Supreme Court is currently 53. Yeah, that's Jesus right. Christ. I would say it's a lot lower. Yeah. Still, it's 53. The same retirement not, age. No, but that's our, no, no. Uh, retirement see, age Clarence is not Thomas 53. is the oldest at 74. Samuel Alito is 72. Sonia Sotomayor like to see is 68. John Roberts is 67. Or Elena Kagan is 62. Kavanaugh is 57. Huh? I, I, Gorsuch is 54. Uh, Ketanji Brown-Jackson and, and Amy Coney Barrett are the youngest at 51 and 50, respectively. So the ladies are pulling up the rookie generation. Yeah. And you go back a few years and that's not the case. But Well, yeah, well, they were. Look, I it's, mean, a, it's a job you die in. That's my point. Oh, yeah, because it's yeah. lifelong. <laughs> Lifetime tenure. It's, it's so a life appointment. Again, you're getting back to term limits, which I, I'm okay with. And so mm -hmm. you're stuck basically depending on which side you fell on to if you get to retire or not. Yeah. No, look, if we're still doing this podcast 40 years from now and you want to talk shit about how old and feeble I am, have at it. Quote me. <laughs> Record it. Mm -hmm. I guarantee we won't be as fast on the mic. He's so much better. Um, booze quality is going to be a lot lower. I'll tell you. Oh, the booze is going to be so much better by that. Are you kidding? Oh, that's true. 40 years of magic. I bought this bottle of O-Tub in 2023. Uh, Not Leon, a whole what's your to brown it, this evening? My brown was made on episode 78. In my pants. Very special bottle. I've been holding it. I'm going to knock the dust off. <laughs>
<laughs> anyway, that's WTF. Let's get on to something happier, shall we? Please. Let's forward. get on to happy times. Here at the Bottle of Brown Podcast, we are huge fans of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia and Ryan Reynolds. Danny mm-hmm. Paul personally has a crush on Ryan and his wife, Blake Lively. Mm-hmm. I would threesome them in a heartbeat, <laughs> which makes me very happy to talk about the Wrexham revival. Now, Mr. Jones is a resident soccer expert, so he is going to have his moment in the sun to talk about this because I got some questions about uh, some of the things that pop up in the story. But let me get through it because it's not that long. We got some time. Broke it. Damn near Wrexham. Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhinney bought a struggling Welsh soccer club and took over the world. Only a pair of Hollywood stars could bring a scripted story like this to a small town in Wales desperate for revival. When actors Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhinney purchased Wrexham AFC and began production of a television series on Hulu, they didn't know club owner would be their greatest roles yet. In their second season as co-owners, their camera-friendly club defeated Boreham Wood on Saturday 3-1 to to earn promotion to the English Football League after 15 seasons and relegation. Season 2 of Welcome to Wrexham will have a happy ending, and if you're not a dedicated viewer of the show, you might have questions about the soccer story that's sweeping the globe. Wrexham's history is football history. Wrexham Association Football Club was once a soccer powerhouse with some of the most loyal supporters a sport team could imagine. Located in the northern part of Wales, roughly 45 minutes south of Liverpool, Wrexham is a manufacturing town of about 60,000 residents. While the area has fallen on tough times, their team has kept hope alive. Wrexham's no ordinary team. It's the third oldest football club in the world. The team was founded in 1864, just one year after the laws of the game were written and the Football Association was formed. But despite 150 plus years of history, Wrexham AFC hit rock bottom. With wins few and far between and an economic spiral in the town over the past century, fans and supporters have had to chip in their hard-earned money just to keep the team operational. And then two American actors bought the team. Well, Reynolds is technically Canadian, but that's all right. We're going to forgive this faux pas. The investment of a (laughs) lifetime turned into a heartwarming story for sports fans everywhere. Why Reynolds and McElhaney went in. You likely know Ryan Reynolds from a number of blockbuster movies, including Deadpool, The Proposal, Red Notice, and much more. McElhaney is famous for his role in the TV series It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. It was his idea to purchase Wrexham after the club had fallen on hard times during the pandemic. Enter Reynolds. McElhaney said, I had TV money, but I needed movie money. McElhaney reached out to Reynolds in an attempt to find sponsors for his purchase of the team. Reynolds didn't want to sponsor the club. He wanted to buy it. They paid approximately $2.2 million, and thus. The pair set out to revitalize a dead-in-the-water football club with more history than any American sports team could fathom. They created a behind-the-scenes documentary, Welcome to Wrexham, and this tiny town of loyal soccer fans is enjoying a wild ride. We didn't know anything about the sport. Now we're obsessed with it, says Reynolds. With Saturday's win, Wrexham, 34-8-3, is now heading to the fourth-tier League 2 in the English Football League after 15 seasons. The racecourse ground, which is their pitch, is the oldest international football venue still in use, and it's beginning to thrive once more. A Hollywood ending in season two, but there's more to be written in Rex. It's a good story. So I heard uh, Ryan Reynolds is also now purchasing a home, not a home, his home, his most of the time living in home uh, next there too. Like he's he's that bought into it now. I mean, He's he's going to England. It's a good place to be. He's going to Wales. Is it Wales? He's going to Wales. 
Okay. Is that far from Wrexham? He's in, uh, so let's see, if you think about the British Isles, he's like dead center of the British Isles because Wales is in between the United Kingdom. Well, Wales is in between England and Ireland. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he's, Ireland. Kind of, he's kind of essentially located in the British Isles. Okay. All right. Well, oh, yeah. Question, Mr. Jones. Can you please explain mm-hmm. to me fourth tier league two? Uh, that's a good question. Um, so what you have here is, is they were playing in the Welsh league. Um, which is kind of more of a, it's still professional. It's not amateur yet, but there's a few more tiers below it that get more amateur, but whole point being they're going into the fourth league. So we have the premier league, which is what we all come to know and what we see every day and is on NBC now. And they have the rights where you see the, uh, man Shitties, the, the goobers, uh, Manchester United, <laughs> you know, the, the, the top tier teams out the there. Chelsea's. Yeah. The, the little lions who are struggling. Um, but the point is, is that they do things different in England and I'm not sure of how many of the Bobs know, but what it simply is, is if you were in the bottom three at the end of the year, when you finish your season, you get relegated down to the lower league. And there's a way that if you just keep falling down that hill, you will get eventually knocked out and the money gets less and less as the league goes down. So what's really good here is that they are going to meet league two. They got to get to league one and they got to get to championship and then they get to premier league. So it is a long climb. It is not going to be easy. They're going to spend a few more years in these lower leagues. But with this, it brings money and money buys players. Ben Foster was institutional in them actually getting promoted in a game before this, where he stopped a penalty in the late minutes of the game. Now, Ben's actually retired. I don't know how they got him to go between the sticks, but it's probably a story out there. And he's he's phenomenal and he got them through. So with money, you can buy better players, better coaches and continue to march yourself up so with the one day glory of me getting into the premier league and that's the biggest payday in sports you get promotion into premier league you get a bucket of money and now you get to try and stay and it's the hardest thing to do is to stay is that what you're looking for yes that's exactly what i was looking for thank you very much so the uh ryan and rob dynamic duo of hollywood who have fucking marketing down these guys are i mean as as marketers go these two are brilliant their social media games on point. They've brought this little tiny town in Wales to the forefront just based on their star power alone. So their marketing chops are ready to go. It's a question they of can TikTok. they do what Mr. Jones says? Yeah. Um, sky's the limit. See what see how far they can take this thing. And the, the show is go. wonderful. Is it on Netflix or who? I can't Ooh. remember which. Yeah, it's wonderful. Watch it. Very I, cool. You know what? Can I just take a side and I love that Americans are getting more introduced to either Wrexham, which is real or Ted Lasso. That's not real or just, just getting more into that other aspect of sport. And I mm-hmm. think it's great. And I think it's yeah. going to grow. I think it's just, I, it's on trajectory. I enjoy the story. I enjoy the characters. I just don't enjoy the game. <laughs> <laughs> I, well. I, I, and maybe it's because I don't understand it because in all honesty, I didn't enjoy hockey. Let's shut it down. Leon. My uh, roommate was, in it and he explained it to me and I understood the offsides rule and the strategy behind it. And then I'm in love with hockey. So who knows, Mr. Jones, it could happen to me for soccer. I bet your love for hockey came when you went to a hockey game live. Uh, you know, you know, it was a good start for sure. I'm going to, I'm going to, I actually sprinkled when I got the video game. And then oh. I understood, oh, now I get it. You can't bring the guy across the blue line with a hot. <laughs> oh, you can't take passing two lines. Oh, oh, yeah. I get that now. Oh, now I, I understand Paul Strong. I drop it in. Um, go live. And it's sports and sports in general. I mean, music live, sports in general. 
a live uh, a live football match. And I, I I think even if you do the MLS, it's still super can exciting. I, can I chime in on that? Uh, Mr. Punish came with me, friend of the show. Uh, once I think he even was with us. And he came out to visit me in Columbus and we went to the crew game because he oh. he's a big soccer fan. And the crew mm-hmm. at the time were badass. They're still pretty decent. Still you good. Know, they're usually pretty good. Um, and so I went to a crew game first one I ever went to. Um, it was easily hands down the worst sporting experience I've ever had in my <laughs> life. And let me tell you why. <laughs> one, when you, when I first came in, I'm like, oh, this is impressive because the field isn't that big and the stadium isn't that big. So you feel like you're a part of the game. You're close. So I'm like, all right. But we sat on the sunny side. This is not soccer's fault. This is my fault for not doing my oh, research. Was- but I sat on the sunny side and we were baking. And I'm like, this is miserable. So we went to the shady <laughs> side. Um but we didn't actually have seats. So we're kind of bouncing around and whoever thought that it was a great idea to introduce the Vuvuzela to soccer needs to just be drug out the street and shot. It's horrible. (laughs) It's a horrible, it's, you know, in dumb and dumber when he says, what's the most annoying sound in the world. It's not that it's a Vuvuzela. I'm telling you, it's like nails on a chalkboard and everyone's got one and they never stop. They just do it for no reason. They just, blowing this horrible horn that has horrible tone. It, there, it's not appealing to your ears. We sat through Vuvuzela's $9 beers, bouncing around seat to seat, watching this game. I was sweating. It was horrible. It was miserable. And it ended 0-0. And I said, this is the worst fucking game I've ever seen in my life. And I never yeah. want to come back. So you had bad seats. I, Get good I, seats and it's a lot more fun. All right. Good seats, 0-0 zero, zero, and Vuvuzela's. Nothing's going to save it, bro. It was a <laughs> miserable experience. <laughs> So if you can end a game zero zero, that's hard. The Vuvuzela is a horn with inexpensive injection molded plastic shell about 65 centimeters, about two feet long, which produces a loud monotone note. Uh, Some models are made in two parts to facilitate storage, and this design also allows pitch variation. Many types made by several manufacturers may produce various intensity and frequency outputs. The intensity of these outputs depends on the blowing technique and the pressure exerted, but they are fucking loud to Leon's point. And you just want to take them out of children's mouths and snap them over your knee. <laughs> That's what it's like. I'll do a, I'll do a loathe on Vuvuzelas one day. But they used to I have eat. them at the Oakland A's games. It's funny you bring that up. They were big in the World <laughs> Cup, uh, like two World Cups ago, right? Mm, yeah, three, I think they outlawed four. them. Eventually, yeah. people said, "Nope, that is too much." Because yep. it, nope, it, it's that's actually true. Yeah. No, one of the parents brought it to our our recreation little league soccer game, and I was like, "All right, that's a little much." <laughs> I find it funny. Whatever. <laughs> I will say though, the soccer hooligan section at the crew—they look like they were having a good time. They had like a drums. million chance. Oh, yeah, yeah, shout out to Mr. Jones for calling Charlie Hunnam in the earliest days with Green Street Hooligans. That was a good movie. A great film. Those of you pops that are looking for a good soccer movie. Yes, it's got Elijah Wood in it, but he's actually pretty good. And Charlie Hunnam's in it. And it's a it's a very, very nice, endearing character story. But it's about the Yamas. Hooligans. About the Yamas. Yama, 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 yama. No, man. I'm hungry. <laughs> <laughs> well played. <laughs> Only Danny gets these movie references that are so obscure. (laughs) 
that's our show. You can email us at bottleofbrown at gmail.com. Give us a call, 602-529-4562. Leave a message for Danny, Leon, The Midge, or Mr. Jones, or any of our special guests. We want to hear from you. Give us ideas for content or refute anything we say on the show. If you like the show, please, please like, please. follow, subscribe, share with a friend. We are on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. Share a quiet drink with us next episode. Same brown time, same brown channel. Bottleofbrown.com. This place is dead anyway, man.